That was wonderful. Y'all need to learn about 10 or 15 more. I could listen to that all night. Good stuff. Amen. We're in John chapter 1, Gospel of John, chapter number 1. They were on the schedule to sing on Sunday night, and we kind of bumped the specials, let the youth choir sing some. But I wanted to hear their new song. They did a good job on that. John chapter number 1. Would you stand with me, please? Verse number 14, if you're there, say amen. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness have all we received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We want to preach a little bit tonight on that phrase, grace and truth. Grace and truth. Lord, help us tonight as we explore the scriptures. Help me, Father, to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. This, uh, Lord, this is a somewhat possible complex subject. We don't want it to be complicated. We want it to be simple. And I pray that you'd help us to do that tonight with your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. So I want to begin tonight by saying that if there is a need, and there is a number of needs, there are a number of needs in our churches today, in Christians today, but there's definitely a need of understanding the importance of having the right mix of grace and truth. These are two extremely important elements. I believe them to be two sides of the same coin. And I say that for a reason. They are not in conflict with each other. They complement each other. Just like a battery has to have a positive and a negative in order for it to have a charge, you have to have grace and truth in order to function in the Christian life. Is everybody still with me? I started to preach a message on this about 10 years ago and I didn't finish it. And I, as I was working on this message, I thought, man, it seems like I've preached on this. And I went and found this, some random notes in a file. I didn't even have an outline or I knew I hadn't preached it. I thought I had. Because as a pastor, there's not a day goes by that I don't feel like I'm walking a tightrope. There's not a day goes by as a, as, a, as a Christian where I don't feel like I'm walking the tightrope. And I say that, and it's not a tightrope, but I do believe that there's a ditch on both sides of the road, and if you're not careful, you'll get in one or the other and find yourself in a mess. With God's help tonight, I want to just share with you some, some concepts, some things about this subject that hopefully will help you as a Christian. A couple things I want to notice by way of introduction about grace and truth. We see, first of all, we see our exposure to both grace and truth. If you're here tonight and you have been saved, you are saved because you were exposed to grace and truth. Okay? You heard the gospel, Titus chapter 2, 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation 
hath appeared to all men. 1 Timothy 2, 4, God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, if you got saved, it's because you had been exposed both to the truth and to the grace of God. All right, again, I don't want you to think that one is positive and one is negative. I don't want you to think that, 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 that that's not the way it is. They, they're, they're, they're so intertwined, it's really hard to separate them. But many people somehow manage to and get top heavy in one department or the other. Hopefully the message tonight will explain where I'm going with this. Because I really believe that a lot of churches have gotten caught up in this and, 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 and have demonstrated Getting, getting in one ditch or the other. We've been, if we've been saved, you got saved because you were exposed to both grace and truth. And when you study your Bible, number two, we find that we can be excited about both grace and truth. A lot of people get more excited about grace than they do truth. But we ought to get excited about both of them. Come on, y'all. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. I believe a child of God ought to rejoice in the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Before we met Jesus, we were walking in darkness. We knew not at what we stumbled. And then God turned the light on, and we were able to see. Our eyes were open, and we were able to be enlightened. We ought to get excited about the truth as well as the grace of God. And also I notice in our text, we see our example. Jesus, of course, is the perfect example for us to follow. Not our favorite preacher or not some ministry or some, some guy that we've heard or like on YouTube or whatever. Our role model, our example, our pattern for grace and truth is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us in John 1, verse number 14, that Jesus was full of grace and he was also full of truth. You say, well, how could you be full of one and be full of the other? Because they're both sides of the same coin. They're, they're intertwined. The truth of the matter is, I'm just gonna be real honest with you, you really can't have grace without truth. You can't have truth without grace. But like I said a minute ago, some people have managed to separate the two almost into a positive and a negative and focus only on one side or the other. And I don't want to do that. I don't believe you want to do that. But if you don't do it, it'll be because you didn't do it on purpose, conscientiously aware of the fact that we're supposed to be full of grace and full of truth. We've all been exposed to it. That's in verse number 15, 16. And of his fullness have all we received. And grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so we see our exposure to it. We see we can get excited about grace and truth. And we see that we have an example of grace and truth. First Peter chapter two, verse number 21 says that Christ suffered for us, leaving for us an example that we should follow his steps. I think we should pattern, try our best, and we will fall short, but we should try our best to pattern our life after the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that's what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. Brother Ingram preached that. How many times did he mention that? Follow me, follow me, follow me. Followers of Christ, that's what Christians are, Christians, little Christs, followers, imitators of Christ. 
I put something out the other day about Jesus was not a seeker-sensitive preacher. Neither was the apostle Paul. And I gave Bible verses, John chapter 6, verse number 66, where the Bible says many from that day went away from Jesus and walked no more with him. And he let them go. Apostle Paul said not was Apostle Paul said that at the, at the time that no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. He let them go, and the point I was making was Jesus and Paul were not seeker sensitive preachers. Sometimes they let people walk away, and we can too. And some jackleg got on there and said, "I can't believe you'd try to compare yourself to Christ." Well, I mean. If he's our example, I mean, we're trying to follow him. I mean, that's, that's, that's what Christians are supposed to do is follow him. And if it worked for him, it'll work for us. If he preached it, we can preach it. If he taught it, we can taught it. And, 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 and if he was against it, we ought to be against it. If he was for it, we ought to be for it. We're not comparing ourselves to Christ. We're just trying to follow him. Well, we ought to follow him in this department of grace and truth because he had both. If we're not careful, people will cherry pick verses. They'll, they'll, they'll cherry pick things and, and, and say, well, this is why I'm the way I am because Jesus said this. Yeah, but then they leave out the other verses over there where he gave the other side of it too. That's called rightly dividing the word of truth. You can't cherry pick. You can't pull out the characteristics and the attributes. You can't pull out the things that you like and ignore the things you don't like because it takes all of it. Three things I want to notice this evening about grace and truth. First of all, I want you to notice the blessing that is undeserved. The blessing that is undeserved. I've heard a lot of different definitions for grace, but grace is really God's unmerited favor. If you want an acronym for grace, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense or just God's unmerited favor. If you ever want to try to understand the difference between mercy and grace, grace is getting what you didn't deserve and mercy is not getting what you did deserve. <laughs> you want a perfect picture of mercy, go look at the story of, of Lot, the angels grabbing him and his family and dragging them nearly against their will out of the city. And the Bible talks about his, his manifold mercy and his, his mercies being magnified and I thought to myself, I thought about it this afternoon a lot. I don't want to change subjects, but I thought about it a lot. I don't know about what lot would have been better off if God had just nuked him in Sodom and Gomorrah. But God's merciful. And Lot, if he'd have had any sense, he'd have went back to Abraham. Instead of going up in a cave and fathering the Ammonites and the Moabites, come on. God had been doing the nation of Israel a favor to just nuke the old Lot, but God was being merciful to him. He didn't get what he deserved. That's mercy. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. And we're all recipients of his grace. That's the blessing that is undeserved. Grace is an attribute of God that every single one of us have experienced. That's in our text, John chapter number one, verse number 16. And of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. Brother Chad Watson during the Jubilee last October preached a phenomenal message. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. If you heard it, go back and listen to it again. I got to hear it just the other day again. It was better the second time. When he talked about God giving everybody grace, he's given us grace, everybody a measure of grace. 
We've all been recipients of his grace, starting with saving grace and then grace every day. God has blessed us. Psalm 116 verse five says, gracious, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. And grace is something that all of us have experienced and all of us have been a recipient of. And when God showed us grace, we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it when we got saved, we didn't deserve it. None of us deserve to get saved. We ask him to save us. We ask him to forgive us. We ask him to save us because we were lost and needing a savior. We didn't deserve to be saved. But he saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, Ephesians 2.8. Romans chapter five, verse number 15 says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. His grace has abounded unto us. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Amen. So it's the blessing that is undeserved. And if we're not careful, we can just, Get on a hobby horse and only talk about the grace of God. And you could preach about the grace of God for months and never exhaust the Bible references that deals with the grace of God. The Apostle Paul talked about it a lot. The Apostle Paul was thankful for the grace of God. We're talking about a man that was an enemy, an adversary, one that went into churches and destroyed them, wrecked havoc in the churches, arresting the saints of God and killing Christians. And now he's now a preacher and a church planner and God let him write half the New Testament. He knew about the grace of God and said in one place that God's grace that had been shown toward him was not in vain. And he begged people, don't let the grace of God that's been poured out upon you, don't let it be wasted. Don't squander and take advantage of the grace of God. Be thankful for it. We don't deserve it. We could preach about it forever. The second point that I want to look at tonight is the boldness that is unpopular. Talk about the grace of God forever. Talk about the grace but then let's look at the other component in this message, full of grace and truth. Interestingly enough, when you look at the, in the Bible, to me, truth is a good thing. Truth is a positive thing. If the bridge is out and it's raining and it's dark and there's somebody standing on the side of the road flagging down cars and saying, you need to stop, the, the bridge is that if you keep going, you're going to run off the road into the river. That's not bad news. That's a good thing. Right. I mean, what they're saying is bad news, but the fact that they're telling you the bad news is a good thing. But yet in the Bible, many times you find this adverse response to truth. In fact, the apostle Paul said to the church of Galatia in Galatians 4, 16, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Because many times when you speak the truth and you preach the truth, it's unpopular. People don't want to hear it. When Stephen was preaching right before they stoned him to death, the Bible says while he was preaching and three times in that chapter, it says he was preaching in the power and in the feeling and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. So he wasn't up just grinding the ax. He wasn't preaching in the flesh. He wasn't trying to make a name for himself. He wasn't trying to get meetings. He wasn't politicking. He was preaching under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the people stopped up their ears. 
ran upon him with one accord and began gnashing on him with their teeth. And you go back and read what he preached in the previous chapter leading up to that and everything he said was the truth. It was the truth. They didn't want to hear it. John the Baptist, prime example of what happens when you're bold and preach the truth and they don't want to hear it. Jesus said to the Pharisees, what do you expect to see when you come out here? A reed shaking in the wind? No. John the Baptist put his long bony finger in the face of King Herod and said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. She had his head cut off because of it. Jesus was crucified because he spoke the truth. They couldn't handle it. Every time he spoke, every time he did something, every time he preached, they'd go off and connive and scheme and try to figure out how they could kill him. And they finally did. They finally nailed him to a cross. People, many times, unfortunately, prefer lies over truth. Many people prefer lies over truth knowing it's a lie. By the way, that's where we're at in 2023. How many of these publications and radio stations and television stations and news networks are even able to pay their light bill is a mystery to me. Because all they do is lie all day. But in Isaiah chapter 30, verse number 9, verse number 10, the Bible says that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, that seers is a prophet, which say to the seers, see not, And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. They they literally cornered the prophet and said, we know that you are supposed to be a mouthpiece. We know that you're supposed to be a spokesman for God. We dealt with this in the Lord Gave the Word series in that first couple of messages about the revelation, how that God spoke through the prophets and revealed his word to man. They would literally pull them off to the side and say, we know that you are a mouthpiece for God and a spokesman for God, but we do not want you to tell us what God said. We want you to prophesy deceits unto us. Why would you do that? Why would you want anybody to tell you a lie? You would get completely up in arms and, 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 and rightfully so if you went and took your vehicle when you had a check engine light, took it to Jiffy Lube, and they said there's nothing wrong with your vehicle. It's, it was a false alarm, and they cleared all the codes, and you start out on a trip, go on vacation, get two hours down the road, and your car blow up, come to find out there was no oil in the vehicle. You'd be mad if they lied to you about that and rightfully so. You'd be upset if you went to the hospital or went to the doctor to get a physical exam and they put all these scans and run all these tests and took your blood and everything else and told you that you're the perfect specimen of health only for you to find out three weeks later you got stage four cancer. You'd be upset. Somebody lied to you about that. And yet we got people go to church and they want the preacher to lie to them. Blows my mind. And to be a spokesperson of truth in 2023 requires a little more boldness than it used to. Paul said in the last days, 2 Timothy 4, 4, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So we see the boldness that's unpopular. Let somebody get up and speak the truth, just the truth 
and say it with boldness, say it without stuttering, say it without hesitation, say it emphatically and dogmatically and people automatically assume the worst about that person. Even though what they're saying is the truth. It's, it's shocking, really, it's shocking. It's amazing. But I want to get to the third point, the balance that is uncommon. The balance that is uncommon, and that is being full of grace and truth. The struggle today among Christians is finding the biblical Christ-like balance in having grace and truth. And by the way, when you ever get your head wrapped around the significance of this Christ-like attribute, it will affect every aspect of your life. Let me explain something. Turn to Romans 12 right quick. Just flip over to Romans 12. I don't think we're going to go back to John 1 so you can lose your place. Go to Romans 12. There are a, a list of gifts that are mentioned in Romans chapter number 12. Every child of God has a gift. Some have multiple gifts, but everyone has a predominant gift. I preached a series of messages years ago, and I may preach it again one day if the Lord will give me green light on unwrapping your gifts. Everybody that is saved has a gift. One of these seven gifts in Romans 12. Are you there? Look at what it says. Verse number four. For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Okay, everybody's got different gifts. I mean, there's a lot of people in here may have the same gift as somebody else, but everybody has a different gift. There's about seven, I believe. Prophecy is one of them. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Ministry is one of them. Let us wait on our ministry. Teaching. Exhorting, verse number eight. Giving is a gift. Then do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, rule with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, there's a list of gifts there. And all these gifts in the body of Christ working together makes the church well-rounded. It gives the church the biblical personality that it should have. If you've got a church full of prophets, I'm a prophet. A prophet, everything's black or white. There's no gray area. It's just dogmatic, boom, that's how it is. Now, a person that's a prophet can relate to that gift in me. They're like, that's exactly right, brother. But a person whose gift is mercy struggles with some things that I say because their strong point is mercy and mercy people are very loving and compassionate and forbearing and, and, and will just go bend over backwards for somebody, even let them take advantage of them. That's their gift. Right. We need gifts of mercy and we need the prophets. But if everybody in the church was a prophet, woo, be a rough church. And if everybody in the church was a mercy, it'd be a mess. Are y'all following me? Now, though you may have a predominant gift, that gift should be tempered by the Holy Spirit and balanced. It might be a predominant gift, but you will have the others. 
The fruit, singular, of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, there's nine. But the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits, the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. So even if you are a dyed-in-the-wool prophet, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, you will have that, 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 that tempering, that softening, that mercy and compassion and grace and love to help make that gift biblical. Is everybody still with me? Show me somebody that's a prophet that's not walking with God and they're mean as a junkyard dog. Hateful. Many of the pastors that you hear about that we would consider lording over the heritage or we, I call them popes because that's what they are. They act like they're popes. And that's dealt with in verse number three. For everybody not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Okay, verse one and two is talking about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what's a good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Verse three talks about not being, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but operating according to the grace that's been given unto every man, thinking soberly in verse number three. Then he gets into these gifts. And every member has a different gift. And Corinthians talks about how all the members fit together in the body. And when every child of God is full of the Holy Spirit of God and they're fulfilling their God-given gift in the body, that is a healthy, thriving, awesome church to be a part of. But you find me a church that doesn't have a heart for truth and a love for truth and it's only the grace, 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 grace. And I'm gonna show you a church that is very permissive where sin can begin to just fester and the church can fill up with sin and nobody has a problem with it. Find a church that's only, that's only truth and not tempered with grace and you got a bunch of people that are Pharisees in many cases. What I'm trying to say to you this evening is this, we need to have a biblical balance and it's rare for a person to be full of grace and full of truth. Get back to my notes. That was free. Many pastors today tend to fall in one ditch or the other, unfortunately. The grace preachers, we call them grace preachers. When we're amongst ourselves, I'm hanging out with Brother Ingram, we'll go down the road. We call them grace preachers. That's all they want to talk about is the grace of God. They'll write whole books on the grace of God. And really, what it is, is a very long, drawn-out, eloquent excuse to sin. Paul said, should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Brother Ingram said to me, he said, I read a book the other day. He said, a book that thick on the grace of God, and not once did it mention Titus chapter number 2. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Said so it didn't touch that verse with a 10-foot pole in a book that thick on the grace of God. See, they don't want to go there. It's always grace, 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 grace. But the grace preachers preach mostly about love, mercy, and long-suffering and the attributes of God, warm, fuzzy feelings. Paul said people like to have their ears tickled. But then they won't deal with sin, they won't name sin, they won't expose sin, they won't make tough decisions pertaining to people's sin. They just let it go forever and forever and ever. They don't have very many standards and the ones that they have, they don't enforce because of grace, see? 
They have a high tolerance for those that do damage to the cause of Christ all under the guise of grace. They will attack a preacher of truth quicker than they will attack a person living in willful and deliberate sin. All under the grace. And many church members will fellowship with people living in open sin and won't rebuke them or try to restore them all because of them trying to have grace. But on the other side, in the other ditch, you have these hardcore truth advocates that lack diplomacy, they lack tact, no compassion, no love, no grace, no mercy. They're the shoot first and ask questions later kind of people. The Bible says it's foolish. Only a fool would answer a matter before he hears it. It's amazing how many church members know exactly how they would deal with the situation and they only know a sliver of the facts about the situation. Brother Ingram had no idea when he was preaching the other day because I didn't tell him anything that was going on in our church. I made a point not to. He still don't know. I haven't told him anything. I don't have a reason to. I told him, I said, I want you to preach and let God. But he got up in the pulpit that that Sunday night and was talking about how to pray for your preacher. And he said, the preacher knows the story, the whole story, the backstory, knows everything going on in the counseling sessions and the phone calls and text messages, but he can't stand up in the pulpit and tell everybody and make his case. And yet you got people in the pew that have a sliver of the information. This is what the preacher ought to do. This is what the preacher ought to do. Many times that pendulum swings both ways. You got people in the church that wants that wants the pastor to just ignore sin, and you got people over here that wants the pastor to pull the guillotine out and not give them a chance to even get right with God. And the pastor's supposed to be trying to be full of mercy, grace, and truth. Amen. Everything's either black or white and there's no room for people to grow. There's no room for people to make mistakes. There's no room for people to be restored. The whole idea in the Bible of people that's in sin is to restore them. Yes, there's a time and place when Paul talked about casting them out of the church, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, but that's not the first thing you do. You can't get much more gracious and merciful than Jesus putting up with Judas for three and a half years. You want a prime example? Three and a half years he let a devil run with him. Let him count the money and handle the bag. But that night sitting around the table in the upper room, he drew a line in the sand. He looked at him and said, what thou doest, do quickly. And the Bible says the devil entered into that man. What am I saying? I'm saying that there's room for error on both sides. Our goal is to be balanced. Church members that are more truth than grace find it hard to love those that are weak and unlearned. And their premise is, well, they're not where I am. Well, first of all, you ain't where you think you are. Verse three is for you, okay? For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, all right? So you say, well, they uh, they ought to know better. Well, you ought to know better about a lot of things too. Law of the boomerang. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Huh? Come on, y'all. The problem is other people's sin bothers us way more than ours. They expect everybody to be where they are spiritually and they tend to overestimate their own spirituality. So these are, the, these, are the, these are the people that get in the ditch of truth or grace. If you're not careful, and a church that's all grace will be up to here in sin. Yes, sir. 
And a church that is all truth will be a really oppressive place to go to church. So, the Bible is a prime example of grace and truth. The Bible's most balanced book you'll ever read. God's balanced. Y'all believe that, don't you? God's balanced. The Bible's balanced. I've got a list of, I've got a list of examples here. I don't know how many of them I'll give you. But I know this, we've got to learn to have grace and truth. One without the other is unbiblical and will create a host of problems. One without the other will destroy a life and it will destroy a church. Churches today that are falling into apostasy, you mark it down, they're grace heavy. There's a lot of truth that's missing. You say, why do you say that? Because I know for a fact that there are preachers that will have guest preachers come in and meet with them and tell them what to not preach about in their church. I know that for a fact. They'll say, now don't, don't preach on this in this church. Why? Because it's a little bit too much truth and it's done gotten out of kilter and throwing some truth in there right now, that thing would wobble and fall completely off the axle. I know in some churches you can go and preach on love and compassion and forgiveness and bitterness and they'll stare at you because they don't want to do none of that. They want to cast them out. They want to, y'all understand where I'm going with this? Let me just give you some examples when I talk about full of grace and truth. The Bible's, the Bible's, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus said, this is truth talking, whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now that's just Jesus talking about truth. But he also is the one that said, he that's without sin among you, let him, cast, let him first cast a stone. And he looked at the woman caught in adultery and said, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. That was Jesus being full of truth and grace. The Bible says, thou shalt not covet. But it also says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. <laughs> Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. But Jesus also said, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Balance. Here's an example where God told Moses, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. That's truth. But grace says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Truth says, for every man shall bear his own burden. But grace said, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Truth says that whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the truth. But grace says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's grace and truth. Truth says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Grace says, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Truth says, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not, 1 John 2. That's truth. But the very next verse is grace. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The proverb says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. That's truth. Grace says, but he that confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. 
Truth is the wages of sin is death. But grace says the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Truth says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Grace says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who hath made both one, broken down that middle wall of partition between us. Truth says he came unto his own, and his own received him not, but grace says, but unto them that received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them that believe upon his name. You got truth, and you got grace. Truth says, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Grace says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. You're saved. Truth says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yea, for a good man some would even dare to die. Grace says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The law says more, the truth says moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Truth says for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what he said. Truth, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Are y'all getting this? For to be carnally minded is death. That's truth. Grace says, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Well, we could just go on and on. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But he didn't leave it there. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the spirit, you shall live. I like this one right here. <laughs> Truth, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Grace says, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Truth says, and be not conformed to this world. Grace says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I love this verse, Brother Bittner, for you see your calling, brethren. This is truth, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. Boy, don't you thank God for that. Truth says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's truth. Grace says, and such were some of you, but you're washed. You're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Do you see the balance here? 
Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. He also said, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance unto the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Do you see the balance? Here's where mature Christianity comes in knowing the balance of grace and truth. God said, God judgeth the wicked, the right, God judgeth the righteous, watch this, and God is angry with the wicked every day. That's truth. Grace says, for God so loved the world <laughs> that he gave his only begotten son that whoso believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we can just go on and on and on and on. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. If we're not careful, we'll get in one ditch or the other. All truth, no grace. All grace and no truth. And you know what a mature, spirit-filled believer will be? Full of grace and truth. It's rare. It's rare because you've got to be spirit-filled to be balanced in this. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder this evening if maybe God dealt with somebody, spoke to somebody. Maybe you ought to just get in this altar and say, Lord, I want to be balanced. I want to be like Christ. I want to have, I want to have a strong, strong walk with God. You can't get much more, you can't get much more balanced than Romans chapter number 12 and verse number 9. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Let your love be without dissimulation. There might be somebody here tonight you need to ask God to help you be a little bit more patient, a little bit more merciful. And there might be some people here tonight say, God, I need more boldness. I tend to lean over to the permissive side a little bit too much. I need to line up with the Word of God on some things.